Hatfield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. All right, rolling on on a Tuesday, special edition of Cofield and Company at the Battleborn Broadcast Center. Reno is in ESPN Las Vegas. Justin Watkins is here. Of course, Battleborn Injury Alerts with offices now in Reno and Henderson and Las Vegas. You can call from anywhere in the state. 766-1400-775 in the north. John Von Tobel is here as well. We got some Golden Knight stuff coming up in just a couple minutes. I found some different stories than what we've been doing lately, although we will have an A's update in about 15 minutes. I have some workplace questions. I always like the, the workplace stuff, and we do have some more trademark stuff to deal with because you're great on the trademarks. Okay, let's do Okay, it. so we're through two games. Knights have a 2-0 lead. Close games, overtime victories. Just give me your general thoughts on pulling these victories out. And then I think sometimes fans and even media will get a false sense of confidence. Like, oh, sweep. Like, wait a second. They just barely, they played well, but they just barely won the first two games. Like, I don't know that this is all set for some, you know, five game series. Dallas is right there. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't think they played well in game two. I, I think we sort of stole that game. Um, it has it. I will say this: it does have a little bit of the feeling of that first round playoff in the first season against the Kings, in which every game was a one goal game and one win in the double overtime, but it it was a sweep. That being said, I, I don't think this is going to be a sweep. Um, I think that uh, DeBoer is a good coach. I think Cassidy is a good coach. There's going to be some adjustments made, uh, but a little bit like how it feels like Florida is on the on the other side of the bracket in the Eastern Conference it does seem that in those tight games the what appear to be coin flip games that the Knights have had a ton of those this season and they're prepared for it they're not scared off by it and they do well and they find a way to win whereas Denver not Denver Dallas seems to be well they're they're over in overtime in the playoffs um and they don't have that great record that the knights have in one goal games and in games with a lead going into the third yeah i'd, I'd want to point the finger of blame at Suter on the dallas side in game two because he had a chance to clear one of the goals and he was just kind of behind the play and then the overtime goal well check that no the goal that that eichel set up eichel beat him to the puck Right. And then Barbie beat another player to the puck. It goes back to Eichel and makes the backhand pass. But on the overtime goal, Suter had a chance yeah. to clear. Yep. And he just was not – he didn't find someone. And I I, you know, I was watching – going back and watching some of the highlights on Sportsnet in Canada, and I forgot who was doing color. And he's like, you got to find someone. Yeah. So – I mean, they did a, such a great breakdown on the NHL Network on, yeah. that, on that play and what Jack Eichel saw and what he knew. And, you know – you, they broke it down and they showed him, like, looking back, he knows a trailer is supposed to be coming. And sure enough, he catches wind of Marshall, who's way down the ice at that point. He knows he's got to hold it for a second. And then what I would never have thought of, but the NHL commentator uh, in breaking down the film later says, and he knows that Marshall shows a righty, so he's got to throw it out to the right side of that goal in that backhanded pass. And he puts it right on the tape, which was pretty incredible. I mean, what it comes down to is, yeah, I mean, there were mistakes on both sides. There's always going to be some mistakes. You, they had a great A chance right on the doorstep, right at the beginning of overtime. 
Hill gets the save. Uh, and and then going back on the other side, you know, we knock it in, and it just seems like this is one of those runs where those seem to be happening. You know, it'll be interesting. I don't want to look too far ahead, but it would be interesting if it was these sort of darling or Cinderella teams of Florida and the Golden Knights who both seem to always get the break right now if they were to face off in the Stanley Cup final whose sort of magical season magical run ends because those are things that are unsustainable right Right. when you're talking about a lot of success in one score games winning in overtime that's pretty I didn't realize that about Dallas too that's almost bad luck like the overtime's a 50-50 proposition not win one of them well but the Golden Knights have been doing it all season yeah. long, right? Like the they had the best record in one score games in the league. Uh, what was it? They're they're forty seven and one something something some crazy number with a lead going into the third. Oh, that's my AI. Hold on. Yeah, I, I, it's it's a big number and it's only one loss on the whole season, including the playoffs. So they've I think they're tested in those situations of close games all season long, and I think it matters that they don't grip the stick a little tighter. They're not intimidated by the situation. They've been in it so many times. Coaching? Going to Bruce Cassidy from Pete DeBoer from Gerard Gallant? Well, I mean... Different mentality on the team in terms of staying calm? Well, I mean, Jack Eichel, though, too, for a first full season um, and healthy. That's <laughs> that's a big difference, right? They None of the other coaches had that sort of star power. Um, I mean, Pacioretty was great, but, you know, he was a winger and he was a scorer, but he couldn't. I mean, Eichel's taking over some of these games with what he's doing, um, so it's pretty pretty amazing. I think it's hard to question the decision right now about changing the coaches because of both where both teams are at. I mean, the thing that I'm liking about Cassidy, and this has been the same for DeBoer up, up until this point, is the Golden Knights have gotten stronger as each of these series go on. Like, they start playing better and better and better, and I can only think that that's coaching, but it also may be depth. It certainly seems to have depth in regards to Edmonton because Edmonton was burning using like two and a half lines. They weren't even using four lines. And so the top players, as game five and game six came out, ran out of gas. You saw Dreisaitl went over in the final three games, no points, and our team kept scoring. So is it coaching? Is it adjustments? Is it depth? Is It's probably a little bit of, of all those things. But DeBoer has also gotten better in each of the series. They have dropped game ones. They have been behind in series, and they've come back and won. Uh, and and specifically, Ottinger has gotten better in each of the series in games uh, five through seven. So it'll be interesting to see what happens tonight. I mean, I'm, I'm predicting another close game. It might be another little 50-50 puck that makes the difference. Really quick, uh, Bard says that the Knights are 44-12-3 when leading after two periods this season. Two, no, no, no. Oh, Okay, there was a there was a stat in the last I mean, game. Forty four, twelve, and three is pretty good. Yeah, there was a stat in the last game since since wins for this season. He just says this season as a whole. Hmm. They had a stat where they only had one loss. Maybe it was in the final ten minutes or something, or leading by. I don't know. Maybe it was leading by two goals going into the third. I can't remember what it was, but um, but anyway, it was a, it was a stellar record. And and in any case, that's a stellar record right. too. You know, it's tough to hold on to those leads. Near eighty percent. It's pretty good. Yep. Pretty good clip. So, like, can I ask you? In watching Dallas, I watched that Stars and um, Kraken series pretty closely. Me too. My my observation was that a, a pretty nicely like a, a well skating team like Seattle, they create a lot of opportunities against Dallas. Had some high scoring games. Like Vegas can do that too, right? I feel like they're kind of a good matchup for Dallas. 
and that this could be a close or excuse me, an easy series only in that I think they can exacerbate some of the problems that Dallas has had. You know, that's an interesting take on it too. And, and I think a lot of people sort of saw that as well. I mean, I don't think we're as good as skating as Seattle is. I, yeah. I mean, they, they were fun to watch, man. I enjoyed watching that series because of Seattle, not because of Dallas really. Um, and their shooting, I mean, they had Ottinger picked out, right? It was high blocker side. That's where they were going every time. And they were scoring at a great clip and they're skating all over the place. I don't know that we skate that well, but we certainly defend way better than Seattle. And I think that Dallas is suspect to odd man rushes the other way. We've seen it a ton. I mean, the reality is, is game one was a one score game, but we had odd man rushes that even if we clip those at, uh, you know, a 30% rate and we really got a 0% rate in game one, um, you know, that, that, that game is a runaway, you know, it only takes getting a two or three goal lead before the other teams really starts pressing. And then the odd man rushes multiply and so i really thought game one we played really well and and the score was a little closer than it than the game really was game two i do feel like we stole the first two periods were just ugly did you go to game one and two i did not go to game two okay game one crowd at the beginning oh light no i don't think so no well here's the tough part is i was i got in there right exactly at puck drop because Normally, from where I live, I live in, in Southern Highlands, it takes the way I go in, I can get in there and in my seat in less than 30 minutes. It, it's not a problem. I had my daughters with me. We left a little bit earlier. I left 45 minutes before puck drop, and the roads were an absolute disaster. Right. We were, and it is EDC. We were just stuck, and we drove to, after the game, we drove to Utah that night. And getting out of town, it took us nearly two hours just to get oh past the the speedway. Adam Hill at Puck Drop said, uh, was told last night that people were having trouble uh, getting rid of their tickets for this game. I truly didn't believe him, but there's a lot of empty seats inside T-Mobile at Puck Drop. At Puck Drop, that, that might be true because... Because of EDC. And because well, of Friday traffic and because of a 5.30 start. On a Friday, yeah. 5.30 on a Friday, EDC. And when I was in line to get in, and I like I said, I sat right at Puck Drop. There were so many people still driving into the parking garage. There was a lot of people who had mm. traffic issues like I did. So I, I will say this. By the end of the first period, it looked like a full crowd to me. All right. Good deal. I got a, I got a, uh, a text yesterday from the guys over at Westgate who listen. Uh, Jeff Sherman was talking about Ed Salmons, one of his uh, coworkers, said uh, Friday night it took him an hour and 15 minutes to get from Westgate to the Fortress. Yeah. What? It, it's what? A, oh, it's what? It, it was a mess. And, and I'll and I'll also say this: if, if if the series comes back here, I think you might see that phenomenon of a hard time getting rid of tickets for you know fans. If you know your your buddies and you're trying to sell them to your buddies first and fans first, just because school ends and it's Memorial Day weekend. So like I, I'm going to be out of town. Like it's already planned. I'm not not coming back on it. Hmm. So right. I think there's a lot of people in that same situation. I'll take it. We uh, hold on a second. Hold on. We have, <laughs> we have, we have a discussion during the break now. Um, so I saw an attorney tweeting earlier today about five, six tweets. And th this is something we talk about a lot. These trademark cases and this uh, John, this Taco John guy uh, going way back, trademarked Taco Tuesday. And now Taco Bell's come over the top and they're like, all right, enough. Come on. Yep. So what's going to happen here? Is, is Taco Tuesday so accepted that as uh, she put it, what was it? We've gotten to a point now where like Saran Wrap, Frisbee, uh, 
don't even know Escalator was a name of a brand, but are we to the point where that's it, John? You can't have it anymore. We all it's it's for the people. Yeah. Taco Tuesdays for the people. Yeah. You can't I, have it anymore. I don't know. It, the the question the question is like Taco John filed this trademark in 1989 and it'll be interesting to find out because it was never challenged. He just was the first to file it and nobody else came out. But Taco Bell has the resources to find out number 1, was anybody using Taco Tuesday before Taco John decided to trademark it? Probably. Number 2 is everybody always talking about Taco Tuesday so emphatically that the the words have no connection in the public to Taco John. Right? And and it doesn't this is great publicity it, for the I mean I I've I know where the chain is. I've been around it. They have nice little lovely potatoes, but it's actually free pub for them. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't think I don't think his, their their trademark of Taco Tuesday is really all that valuable, right? Like mm-hmm. they get to put up the sign that says Taco Tuesday, and somebody else gets to say, you know, two tacos on Tuesdays or something, and they don't get to say Taco Tuesday. Is it really providing value to them? To your point, this publicity is probably worth more than that. But if they're fighting it with attorneys. <laughs> I don't know that the publicity is going to outweigh the litigation cost. So, I, I'm going to predict, what happens. I'm going to predict uh, Taco Bell win. All right. So we all win. We all win. We're, we're going to root for Goliath once in, in one of these cases. That's right. We Every, all win. Everybody deserves Taco Tuesday. 766-1400 is the number for Battleborn Injury Alerts. Justin Watkins, Matt Hoffman, all the fine folks here at Battleborn. Give them a call if you need help. 775 in the north, 766-1400. <laughs> Just got done talking a little uh, Vegas Golden Knights and Game 3 in Dallas. Puck drop is at 5 o'clock. Great place to watch the game with Ryan the Hockey Guy at Fox Sports Las Vegas. He is born and raised. New location, North Las Vegas, 1125 East Craig. Happy hour means uh, all bar bites and sliders are just 8 bucks. They've got a bunch of different tacos on a taco. Can't use it yet. I can't use it. Careful. I can't use it yet. Uh, Carnitas, gang gang. Little shrimp, bulgogi. What's that first one, John? What? What's that first one? You said it right. I mean, no, no, like the first of the M A C H A C A. Machaca. Ma, ma, yeah. ma, what? There you go. Okay, what is it? I think it's machaca. Okay. Just make sure I'm right. Yeah. That's all. Uh, dollar off. Cocktails, wines, domestic drafts. Uh, that's at all born and raised locations. But Ryan, the hockey guy in Fox Sports Las Vegas, is having a watch party, pre, post, and intermission show, North Las Vegas. 1125 East Craig. Uh, we do have some breaking news in the last hour or so on the A's. We'll get to that in five minutes. So we'll make this quick because I saw uh, on the heels of our spirited discussion last week about the Second Amendment and John Morant, Michigan now has a red flag law. Is it what, like the third state that's done that? I think Wisconsin and New Mexico. What's a red flag law? Well, they're, I mean, that's a, a really broad term, but basically laws that allow for some process for restricting buying guns or possessing guns based on uh, threats to yourself uh, or to others. It will allow family members, police, mental health professionals, roommates, and former dating partners to petition a judge to remove firearms from those they believe pose an imminent threat to themselves or others. Uh, There is one county in Michigan that is saying, yeah, we're not going to enforce that. Sorry. How does that work? This, you know, full transparency that they attempted to do this law in Nevada when I was serving, um, they, it was one of the first attempts at these red flag laws. And I was 
I was against it. Um, I read this legislation. I would have been, been against this too, um, just because I think it is so broad and it, it allows for abuse of the process. So if you're like, how, how do they know this? But like, if you're in a relationship with somebody, if you used to be in a relationship with somebody, that one seemed a little crazy to me. If you have a child, if you have a child in common, but does not specify that that child must still be a minor. So like, you know, my kid's grown up 35 years old and this ex, not even an ex, it might just be baby mama can now call up and, uh, you know, put a complaint in against me and, and have me have to address all of this stuff. Like it, it just seems really broad to me. And any time that you are taking away somebody's constitutional rights, like I think the process has to be perfect. And if it can't be perfect, like I'm, I'm, I'm just of the theory that then it can't exist. And what I think is going to happen immediately is there's going to be lawsuits galore on this yep. and it's going to go to the Supreme court. And, um, you know, when you just read the text of the bill, I just don't know that it meets constitutional muster. Like what is, why do these people qualify as the people who can make a complaint against you and are, you know, trusted to be able to assess whether or not you pose a threat to yourself or others roommates. I actually get that one. You're in the same space. Okay. Um, you know, intimate partners. Okay. You know, if you have a child in common with joint custody and is still a minor, okay. Like these are the kind of particulars I think needs to be included in these laws to, I think, have a chance of passing constitutional muster. I don't want any more mass shootings either. Like I'm, I'm for, you know, reasonable gun restrictions, but when you, when you actively take away somebody's guns uh, and make them appear in court when they haven't yet done anything wrong, I think that violates the constitution to me. And what I, when I read this bill, so what, what can happen is I can make a complaint against you if we live in the same place mm -hmm. and say, I think you're a threat to yourself. You then, you then get served with this and you must respond. And you then must prove that you are not a threat. It's not on me to prove that you are a threat. It's on you to prove that you're not a threat. Right. Backwards to me. That's backwards. And then if... If it is uh, the judge decides that you have not proven that you are not a threat and decides to take, you know, issue this order, you must then relinquish all of your guns, make all these representations about which guns you have or don't have, give them all up and they are stored and it can go for a year. Um, what I see as a lawyer is there's a it's very unlikely lawyers are going to be involved in this process most often. It's going to be just regular people. And if you don't respond to the, to the complaint and then the police go over. So, so the order gets issued, police go over, they find guns, boom, felony. You have a felony and you haven't broken the law yet. And you're guilty until proven innocent. And you're already guilty. Yeah. And so that just, it just seems like such a backwards process to me. Um, and that's just one of the many things that sort of step out. You know, I just read this law. You sent me the story an hour ago. I just read the whole law in between there. And now it's not too long. I can get, but if I spent some time with it, I would find some more things that I thought were really, uh, I think, 
uh, problematic in a constitutional challenge. I'll say that. Justin Watkins right here on ESPN Reno, ESPN Las Vegas. We're live at the Battleborn Broadcast Center. Um, yeah, very serious topic, the red flag law. And I was going to make a joke about John calling on John Morant, but we don't have to do that. Uh, news out now. Do I get to respond to that or no? From, do you need to? I mean, you're being a little disingenuous with putting that out there. Like that. That's <laughs> yeah. But it still does. That, that, that whole story was uh, an innocent until, or a guilty until proven innocent storyline. Like, he's going to do something. He's just dancing with a gun. Nobody thought that. Oh, yeah, there were, you yeah, should, there were you a few. You should see the feedback I got sure. after I threw out the differences between Kid Rock, Michelle Fiore, and John Moran. People are like, oh, the other two are completely different. Yeah, I understand. You're <laughs> unveiling yourself there. They don't work for the NBA. The yeah. NBA doesn't want it. Like, that's that's a really cut and dry thing. But that's it. But that that cover of your employer doesn't want it. So what? We still have rights. Yes, you do. He's not getting in legal trouble. But your your employer's got rights, too. Yes. You don't have to represent me. And, and I'll have to say, like. You guys talked to Caleb about this, Caleb Herring, last week, and I, I tweeted about it. Like, his take was the best one. His take is the best take I heard, which is, yeah, I get that we have this balance of rights. I'm going to not do as good of a job of it, but we have these balance of rights of right to own a gun, but the employer wants to promote um, responsible gun ownership if to the extent that it has to have its image used in in the same breath as guns and this is clearly not responsible gun ownership and i thought that was a great take i, I agree with that uh rj has latest on a's nevada stadium funding bill 180 million looks like they've come to an agreement here 180 million dollars from the state of which 90 to be repaid via stadium tax revenue what does that mean i thought it was a tax like a tax-free district yeah, I think that's what that means, right? Like it's it's so the, the first rev, ninety the million of it that they yeah. don't pay, they have to pay. No, no, no. So ninety million of you know, we'll see that the the details of it are, but my guess is that the deferred taxes right. that are coming, ninety million of it will come back and get paid. Right. So yeah. it won't. They won't. So essentially, they're going to pay on the first ninety million dollars of tax revenue. Right. Okay. Well, the, the point is they get the money up front to build the stadium before the taxes start oh, okay. going, right? right. So that we're going to throw in yeah, yeah. the money at the front. Yeah, it's it is. It's a loan from the state. 150 and, from Clark County with, uh, that means $125 million via bonds taken out, repaid by the tax district, $25 million in site infrastructure improvements. So they don't have to pay that back. Right. So that my read is the county is going to do the infrastructure improvements as part of the deal. So as you read this, the total contribution... They were asking for 500 originally at Wild Wild West. Then it was down to 395 last week. This could be 350 to 380 coming from the state and the county. I think it's less than that. Oh, it is. I well, when you add up those numbers, but then you say it gets repaid, it's th like that. Those numbers add up to okay. I think 355. Right. Just quick math, right? You're right. Is that right? 355. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we're getting back over 100 million of it. Okay. So I mean. I'll say this, like, I don't, I do not want the Are we going to go back to I the don't whole thing the, with the, with I do the want, Like, what are they doing? <laughs> yeah, I don't want the A's here, but as far as modern stadium deals, that's like, good job, legislators. But doesn't that's that like, create, you did a pretty dang good job right there. But doesn't that create pause in your mind where we look at it and we're like, when the, this is, all this is, is three lines from Nick Aker, yep, right? Yep. When you look at it, you're like, that seems too good to be true for Las Vegas and Nevadans. There's got to be something. 
Oh, the devil's I mean, I in the details. We the devil's it, yeah. in the details. No yeah. doubt about it. We got to see what's there and what's what. No doubt about that. I mean, maybe they become partners on the other parts of the property. I, I don't I don't know. I don't know why they would think that why they would prefer this deal over what Oakland was offering. Because now we're starting to get to the point where we're like Vegas is offering like half of what Oakland is offered. Right. And so you wonder about that. Um I, I don't I don't know. I'm not in on the finances of it. And like I said, the A's I don't think are destined for success here because they don't try and they don't win. Um, not the players, the obviously the ownership group, but if that's the deal that comes through, which is 355 minus like I, I don't know, is is a little over hundred million. So we're talking about two fifty on a one point five billion dollar stadium, and then we now get the tax revenue after that 180 like that sounds like a good job it sounds like they did a good job now if we only get paid back 90 million of the taxes and no and it's tax deferred all the rest of the time again devil's in the details yep. then that would not be as good that There's would not no sound good on the back end right exactly that doesn't then that would not be a good deal boy we could go off on a tangent we were just talking about all our tv subscriptions we'll have to do an update on that in a couple of weeks the three of us were just discussing getting rid of all of our TV subscriptions and starting from scratch because it's getting out of control. But, you know, I Not found just TV. I, I know I, everything. It's, it's, it's the News, newspapers, every magazines, online magazines. So I'm, I'm always worried on this show about the, the, the key, the cog, the linchpin to the show. And that's Ari. And I see him eating during the show, especially when we're not there. And I'm like, wait a second. Does he not get a lunch break in his really, really long day? I, I found a, a labor attorney who was talking about California lunch break rules. I wanted you to hear this and I want a comparison of what, what sort of rights a guy like Ari has when he's working. California takes lunch breaks super serious. Non-exempt workers in this state must get a duty-free, unpaid 30-minute meal break during an eight-hour shift. And that meal break has to be taken before the end of your fifth hour of work. But if it is interrupted or if you don't get the break, they have to pay you an additional hour of pay at your regular rate. Aha! Ari might have a case here. And I feel it, like he's always working when he's having his granola in studio. <laughs> well, Nevada doesn't have. It's not exactly like that. They don't have the uninterrupted, you know, portion. That's like there's there's a penalty to. It does say eight hours of work, you get a thirty minute lunch break, uninterrupted, unpaid. Um, in addition to uh, ten minute rest periods every three and a half hours of work. Right. So you get a rest period, both of which can be waived. So if your employment agreement says you waive the rest period and you signed it, then you waived it. So when we did a a four hour show, we should have signed a waiver to get rid of that 10 minute break. Or we all every one of us should have been able to leave the show for 10 minutes to get a little break. Yeah, I think we you have a break every couple minutes here, every segment. What are you talking? Working the whole time, <laughs> commercial breaks. That's all I do. Is what are you talking about? So I, I host a four hour show every Saturday and Sunday. You so better go I, to Visa. What, yeah, what are my legal rights here? What do I got to do? do? You need to depends on what's in your contract. I know it's not in there. That's for sure. Let's do it. I memorize <laughs> that thing front, back, and sideways. <laughs> okay, and then so the I don't think you're going to get any big damages. Ah. You're not going to be made rich on this. All right. Give me part two from the uh, attorney, the labor attorney in California. 
what you got to watch out for is a lot of companies don't want to pay the penalty. So they'll do one of two things. Item one, they totally twist it and say that you're stealing company time if you're eating while working. That's backwards. They're just trying to intimidate you. The other way they do it is they have you sign a meal waiver form, which waives your right to that one hour of pay if you miss your lunch. Don't sign it if you don't want to. Exactly. <laughs> don't work if you don't want to. <laughs> like, That's not a good <laughs> attitude. I don't like that. <laughs> I Damn mean, it. I don't, I don't know anybody who's really, you know, operating under these rules. I mean, wait, 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 wait. Everybody wait. who gets a lunch break, right? Nobody's dealing in a 30-minute lunch break these days, are they? Where do they go? Longer or shorter? An hour. An everybody hour. gets an hour. Okay. Everybody gets an hour. That's actually. That's, all right. Weren't you telling me you thought at Lotus admin has a different set of rules than on-air people? <laughs> wow. That's a loaded question. Uh, I don't think so. I, I think everything. You never said that. Okay. Yeah. I'm sure I did. Yeah. Once it goes, most of my videos are like, well. I mean, I'll I will say, say, I'll this. say it. When I'm here around twelve one, there's not as many people here. I mean, for, for quite I'll a say long it. Time. When I'm there around two or three, there's not as many people <laughs> in that building. So I don't know when people are in that building. <laughs> to be quite honest, it's, it's staggered. Staggered lunches. I mean, Everyone's gotta get them. Not to go completely off uh, script here, but you know, Amazon has script. done a study to go into five day work weeks at six hours a day no lunch no break and you get to pick your six hour shift i'm in so if you want to you know be able to drop the kids off pick the kids up whatever you got you and they're, so they're doing a pilot program based on that and a, the research was this is how it connects back the research was is that the two most unproductive hours in the workday are the hour leading into the lunch and the hour coming out of lunch oh wow and so the lost productivity is if you eliminate that lunch hour and just give them six straight hours the productivity goes way up wow this is a long discussion we'll have to have it in a couple of weeks yeah i think i'm moving more towards we all need to get back in the office okay. unless you've proven that you can be very productive which i've already proven that so i don't have to go back everyone else so get back in the office <laughs> this isn't working right john Agreed. Wasn't that what you told me? Agreed. Yeah, I'm quoting people. They never said any of this stuff. Sorry, folks. All right, let's do it. Last week on Tuesday, we had our good buddy on uh, Chad Andrus, who's really good on basketball, covers the uh, Nugget scene, radio guy in Denver, said the the Heat and the Celtics, just no shot. Heat had no shot. I know you were very strong with the numbers on the Celtics. We've mentioned ESPN, 97% chance that the Celtics were going to win the series. Sam Peniotovich is in, and uh, I think he tried to buck the trend. What's up, Sam? Mr. Cofield, good to hear your voice. No good. Yeah, yeah, I'm good, man. Little break. I know you. Uh, you might have been under the weather last week. I hope you feel better. Um, I think you're feeling better. You uh, you sent me over what looked like a ticket. I don't know that it's a winning ticket yet. What did you send my way? Well, it's not a winning ticket, and I just I mean I figure it's a, a good conversation to have. You know how you can bet these teams inside of series these days. You know, I mean it, it's been a common thing for a lot of people in vegas but for a lot of american betters obviously with with no legal betting we haven't been able to do this stuff so when the miami heat lost game two to the knicks and jimmy didn't play in game two um i said you know i was impressed with the way miami played without jimmy and now it's going back to miami for three and four he'd probably win both of those and then from there they should win the series and then it's bolster against either a rookie head coach or doc rivers and i i, I liked my chances there and I thought the math was wrong at plus 950 on Miami and a 1-1 tie with the Knicks and here we are I need I need one more win in you know four tries I guess and uh yeah I feel good about it I mean if if the Celtics win four straight games I don't deserve to win my bet 
What have you made of this narrative that is kind of starting to emerge for a lot of people who don't really follow betting a ton that uh, we'll put in air quotes, Vegas doesn't have any idea what it's doing specifically when it comes to this Celtics heat series and where the series price was at before it began. No, I mean, I, I look, I didn't think it should have been $6 and Jeff Sherman can vouch for that. I texted him and I said, I, I, I think this is a little too high on, on Boston minus 600, but I, I wasn't banging on the desk saying it should have been Boston minus 200 or 400. Like it, that's not how it works. I mean, you know how it goes. They, they take the point spreads and they correlate everything out. And, you know, I, I thought the true number was, was probably closer to about 475, 500. And it opened a little bit higher and, and moved a little bit higher. But, I mean, there, there's really not a big difference between five and six. And I'll tell you what, man, like, you know, Boston has just been pounded since, like, December to win the NBA championship. Like, nobody wanted to write any more bets on Boston. Like, they didn't want to give Boston away at minus three, four, five dollars to win the series. So, yeah, you, you make it big, and if the dog wins, you, you lose in the series pool, but you clean up on the futures. You know, I mean, these books were hit and hit and hit, and especially out this way, JBT. I mean, Julian Edelman walked in a win bet out here, like, end of January and bet $11,000 on the Celtics at, like, 4-1. to And everybody just pounded Boston. So, you know, usually the favorite, you're okay with the favorite winning, but I think a lot of books across this country did not want to see the Boston Celtics make a run in the finals and win the finals. John, what was the uh, Bomani Jones tweet? Uh, This is from Bomani earlier today. The Heat are still only a one-point favorite today. Vegas models just cannot conceptualize what the Celtics have done this series. To which I responded, Sam, they made about a five and a half, six and a half point adjustment from game four or from game three to game four. Like, what else would you do? Like, what would you make the number? And Bomani hasn't responded, but I, I think that's you're kind of alluding to it, Sam, which is like, I don't think people understand the nuance and the other steps that are involved here. You don't just ha- like put up a number and like, that's it. Like, betters sharpen these things up. The market gets sharpened up by respected money. You also have to account for where your futures are at, where your liabilities at. But everybody just wants to come in and dunk on the thing that is Vegas, not understanding what actually goes into it. If Bomani Jones ran a sports book, I would light him up. So let's, let's end this right now. He doesn't know what he's doing. He has no idea what he's talking about. He doesn't know what a point spread is. doesn't know how power ratings work. Let him stick to his hot takes and all that stuff. He, he, he knows nothing about the point spread. Like, like you said, what do you make the line? Miami minus three or four? And then everybody with any sense hammers the Celtics at plus three or plus four. Like, you, you can't make it any bigger than that. And it, it's funny because people that don't know anything about gambling talk about gambling. And after game one, when the Heat beat Boston, I was, I'm, I'm in town. I'm in Boston, right? And I'm talking to this writer. I'm not going to name his name. I mean, he's a friend of mine, but he knows nothing about gambling. And he's like, oh, well, the Heat will be lucky to win another game. And, and today I text him. I go, hey, what do you think about the series? He goes, oh, Boston's cooked. So I'm like, well, that means Boston's going to win. Because if, if, if Boston has lost him, like that's, that's everything you need to know about how, how these media people that don't know betting overreact to the last game or two or three that they've seen. So, and this is why I like talking to somebody like you because, you know, you have a ticket on Miami. You could easily come on this show and start pumping your chest and being like, it was wrong. I knew it the whole time. Nobody had any idea what was going on here. But you understand, and this has kind of been always my biggest argument with anything, Sam, it, it is very much results-oriented thinking. There was nobody – there was a few people who thought the Heat were going to win this series, but there was not this overwhelming push of Vegas knows nothing, the numbers know nothing, this is ridiculous. There were people like you that had some like, ah, that seems a little high. 
but there was not this overwhelming support for the Heat. But now that they're up 3 nothing, it's really easy for a lot of people to go, see, wrong, they don't know anything. By the way, the Denver Nuggets were the favorites in the series with the Los Angeles Lakers. They wiped the floor with them. They're up for nothing. Like, there's so many other instances of Vegas, in air quotes, being correct, but this is the one where everybody's pointing to. The other conversation, and we can go to the West quickly, like, I love the narrative that it was like, oh, the, the books don't respect the Nuggets. And I'm like, what, where are you getting this from, moron? Like, the Nuggets are the highest-rated team in the Western Conference. Like, ask anybody who makes numbers on the NBA. The Nuggets, again, are the highest-rated Western Conference team. But the books don't respect the Nuggets because the Lakers were favored in Game 3 and Game 4. Like, that's not how it works. But, again, this is inside baseball stuff, if you know what I mean. Sam Peniotovich, Nesson, and Fox Sports is with us here on Cofield and Company. All right, so what are we doing with the game tonight? What are we doing with the, the Celtics and the Heat? I made one bet. It was Al Horford under six and a half points. You're going to laugh, but I, I think it's a really good bet. Um, and, and the crazy part about this number, not only is it the lowest number of the entire series on Horford, but you have to go and lay minus 140, minus 150 to go over six and a half. So they are just begging you. They're, like This is a free space for, I think, the average bird because – you look at Al Horford's playoff averages and you look at what he's done over the last couple of weeks and like, oh, he should easily get to seven. Oh, well, minus 150? Oh, it should be. you know. And then, then we start playing that mental math game and you look at how awful he's been on defense, man. He has been atrocious. And they have been going at him and they have been picking and popping him to death. And I think he, at this point, is a liability defensively. So look at his plus minus in the series. It's not good. I think last game he was a minus 21. Also, in this game, I would imagine that it's the Tatum, Brown, and Smart show. You know, they all think they're the alpha. Only one of them is the alpha, but they all play like they're the alpha. You have three selfish shooters, Tatum, Brown, and Smart. They are all going to chuck and chuck and chuck. And who gets left out of the equation? Al Horford, who's setting screens and making that pass to an open shooter. Al Horford's number is six and a half for a reason. I don't think he gets there. It's a low number, but it's low for a reason. Have you guys started looking ahead to a Nuggets Heat final and what it's going to look like in terms of, you know, the Nuggets being favorites, Sam? I haven't really done my diligence yet on it. I mean, you have to think this is one of the funniest stories when I was back at VEASAN and, and we were talking about, I think it was JBT, wasn't it the Celtics and the Cavs? And uh, humans, you and me, were all like, well, you got to start the Cavs at minus 200. And there was somebody else at Beeson that was like, oh, it's a pick em. And, yeah. you know, Cleveland opened minus 250. Uh, <laughs> I, I have a feeling that the Nuggets should be minus two and a quarter, if not higher. It, it just, you can't, you can't make it any lower. Because I know wise guys that will lay 170, 180. Hell, they might lay Denver minus 200. So I, I think two and a quarter is fair, but... But that's an educated guess at best. My guess was minus 200 to minus 250. I think somewhere in that range. So we're on the same path there. All right. And then what do you guys do with it? What do you want to do, Sam? I don't know, man. I don't think I have an edge either way. I know that's not what people want to hear. Well, come on, betting guy. Give us a pick. No, Dance, no, no. monkey. And it's like, well, I, I, don't, I, I don't really think I have an edge. I'll tell you what. I think if it's Denver-Miami, and it, that certainly looks like what it's going to be, I think Miami and Spolstra are going to just – run i know denver likes to run but did you see Jokic last night final five minutes of the game dude was gassed he needed the oxygen tank and 
if, if you're Miami, you got to tire that guy out. So Denver likes to run, but I don't think that Denver wants to run for five, six, seven games. So if you're Miami, you probably want to pick up the tempo, push the pace. I'll be looking at these overs early in the series. If we get like 215, 16, 17, I think I'll be on the over until it gets too high. Back to the Celtics, what's the local narrative? You mentioned all the alphas. Uh, Was that you who tweeted it out, or do you retweet someone saying uh, Jason Tatum is Carmelo Anthony? I tweeted it. I mean, look, I mean, it's, I'm trying to rile up people. You know, that's what I do from time to time. And then I, I get the blowback from tough guys with 12 followers. But, um, you know, Tatum's a very good player, a great scorer, doesn't really play a lot of defense. And I, I don't know that he has that championship DNA. It, it's, not, it's not fair, really, to say that right now because he's still a young cat. But he, he's also, guys, he's been in the league for like six seasons now, right? So it's, like, we kind of know what he is at this point, I would think, and he just doesn't seem to be that killer. And I go back to the story last year before game six against the Warriors when it was do or die and you had to win to, to push it to game seven, and Jason Tatum's in the barber chair for an hour in the morning of the game. And I'm like, look, this is Jason Tatum. He wants to look cool and feel cool and have the perfect line and, and you know, have awesome-looking shoes on, but is he going to dig in and get the big stops on defense? Is he going to get back in transition and – and until this point, or up to this point in his career, I don't feel that from him. And, and that was Carmelo's knock, right? You can score, you can get buckets, but can you do what it takes to win a championship? And until, uh, until I see it, I just don't believe it. Have you gotten any sense talking to anybody that there's big changes coming for him, whether it's Missoula or letting Jalen Brown walk or anything like that? The Celtics keep it pretty close to the chest. I, I can't. I can't lie to you and say I know what they're going to do. I mean, Missoula would be a very simple fall guy. I mean, he's just he's a kid, man. He's a kid. The players are older than him. You know, look at that roster. There are several players that are older than Joe Missoula. So he's been outmatched, outclassed by Spo. He'd be an easy fall guy. But, look, if you want to shake up that core, you know, Tatum, Brown, and Smart, if they don't win a championship, you have to consider the options here and potentially moving on from that big three together. Sam Penny Average with us from Nesson from Fox Sports. What do you guys think so far of what's going on in the NHL playoffs? Have you gotten involved at all, or have you kind of faded with uh, a lot of the Northeast corridor teams going bye bye? These games have been wild, man, because, you know, the first two in the East and the West, you, you could very simply make a case that the teams that lost all four of those games could have won all of those games. I mean, look. First two games in Carolina, Florida go to overtime. First two games in Vegas and Dallas go to overtime. So it's like, you know, Vegas hasn't just ran over Dallas and and Florida hasn't bowled over Carolina. I mean, these are the slimmest of margins. It's the proper play off a proper turnover, like the, the Florida Panthers goal in game two was a bad turnover by Carolina. They pounced on it, scored, and that was the game. One mistake has decided four of the five games in this round in hockey. And I think that speaks to the tightness of the play. Uh, A lot of these games have gone under, too. I mean, that Florida-Carolina, 3-0 to the under, not even close. And the way that those goalies are playing and the way that those teams forecheck and fight in the corners, it's probably an under again in game number four. And look at the books in Vegas. Five and a half, under minus 30, under minus 35. I still might go under. I don't care. 